When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 10 of Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And I just want to point out to you that Moses is a leader chosen by God to come and lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And there are times when God leads people to do things. Maybe God's led you to do something at some point in your life. And maybe you were excited about doing it, or maybe you were a little bit concerned about doing it. Maybe you felt like this is something I can't do, but God, I know that you want it done, and it appears that I'm the person to do it, and so I will take on the leadership mantle that you've given to me, and I will move forward to it. Whatever it is, that always it, it, um, it could lead to issues or struggles with, am I, am I, do I have enough skills to lead? Do I have all the things necessary to lead to do the thing that God wants me to do? And the short answer, of course, is of course you don't. Nobody's perfect. The only perfect leader that ever lived was Jesus. And he, I mean, if you look at Jesus, the simple life that he lived, and yet he transformed the world. Billions of people have followed this one guy that lived 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. He had no money. Uh, he didn't have a big family, didn't have a lot of power. All he did was gather around him 12 guys and spend three years with them. And then he left and then they <laughs> transformed the world. I mean, you look at just amazing leadership. It's Jesus. He had all the skills necessary and he, and he picked out his leaders, his, his disciples, his followers, and then they changed the world. Now, they didn't have all the skills either. They were simple men. Some of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector. I mean, just all these people, just simple skills, and yet they changed the world. And how did they change? Did they change it through power? No. Did they change it through money and wealth? No. Did they change it through um, uh, all the things that we have today that we think are necessary to lead people? Did they invent something incredible? like the internet or computers or something like that? No. Did they invent the electric car? No. They just spent three years with Jesus and then they transformed the world. The reason why I say all this is because leadership is basically having in your heart, knowing what God wants you to do, going in that direction, knowing that you're not perfect, but knowing that God will come along beside you and provide what he needs to be provided if you simply listen to him and do the things that he's called you to do. He will, if it's something that God wants to get done, he will make sure it gets done. Yes, even through imperfect, uh, untrained, unqualified people like us. That's how he gets his work done. And it doesn't require a lot of wealth. It doesn't require a lot of fame. It doesn't require a lot of training. All it requires is a heart that's willing to follow Jesus and do what he's called you to do. This is what Moses learns through this whole process because Moses is a reluctant leader. I mean, I could even say in Exodus that wrote, you know, the, the rise of the reluctant leader or something like that. But we're going to, we're going to just, uh, we left yesterday in episode nine that God had told Moses to go and 
to the Hebrews, go to the Israelites and say, God has listened to your cry and now we're going to exit is we're going to exit is Egypt. Um, that's kind of where we left it. And Moses said, well, who should I say sending me? And God says, tell them that I am, that I am is sending you. Um, and that's kind of where we left the story. Now we're going to pick it up in chapter four. That was in chapter three. Now we're going to pick it up in chapter four because Moses is still not quite ready to lead. He needs a little bit more encouragement. So we read in uh, chapter four, verse one, then Moses answered, this is to God. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, well, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And uh, before we exit this little section of scripture, just notice that it says, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers. And you'll notice uh, if you're if you're reading this in a text, and if you can see it on the screen, if you're listening on a, where you actually can see it, you'll see that the Lord is in all capital letters, L-O-R-D. And that means that it is really Yahweh. This said Yahweh is so that they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So uh, because when you see in some versions of the text like the NIV, L-O-R-D, all in capital letters, that is basically the proper name of God translated to the Lord, not to offend or to keep the name of the Lord holy. So Moses, <laughs> Moses, well, what if they still don't believe me? What do you want me to do? And God says, well, what's that in your hand? And, and Moses says, well, it's a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws the staff out on the ground and the staff turns into a snake. And then he picks it up by the tail and it turns back into a snake. He says, show them that sign. Now, how many of you can take a staff and throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake? Well, first of all, how many of you would actually want a staff to be turned into a snake? Because snakes here in the in the Arizona desert, snakes will kill you. So you don't really want a snake. But it's a pretty cool thing. If God can take a staff and change it into a snake, then God can certainly rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt. This is a great sign. This would be enough for me. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, watch this, and took a staff and threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake and then picked it up again and it turned back into a staff, I would say this is this is a pretty significant sign. There's no question about it. So Moses could have easily gone to the Hebrews at this point and said, listen, this is the truth. Listen to me. And here's a, I'm going to show you why it's the truth and turn it into a, the staff into a snake. But, but then the Lord's even going to do more than that. So we keep reading. Verse six, then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous, which means it had leprosy. It had become white as snow. Verse 7, now put your hand back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. So Moses is able to actually take his hand, put it into his cloak, come out leprosy, and put it back in his cloak, and then it's fine. I mean, that's a pretty interesting you know, thing too. And then verse 8. 
Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So here's three signs. The first sign is throw your staff on the ground. It'll turn into a snake. Pick it up. It'll go back to a staff. The second one is turn your hand into a leprous hand, put it back in, and then it's fine. And the third sign is pick up water from the Nile, throw it on the ground. It'll turn into a blood. Three signs. If they don't believe those three signs, then they're hard-headed people. Um, Oftentimes when God wants to get his attention on the earth, he will do miracles. The purpose of a miracle is not necessarily to show God's amazing power in this. We often think in modern 20th century America that we want miracles from God because we want God to, um, to heal us. We want God to do something in the world. We want God to do X, Y, or Z. And the purpose of miracles is not Those are nice things that God does, but whenever God does a miracle, the purpose of that miracle is to show the world that God exists. That's the purpose. That's the main purpose of a miracle. So when you come to God asking for a miracle, if your heart is, God, I want a miracle because uh, I need this in my life. I have this disease I'd like you to cure me from. I, I have a friend that's suffering with this. I'd like you, God, I'm poor. And I'd like you to make sure that the next lottery ticket I get is actually the lottery ticket that's going to, you know, that's going to transform my life. And then I'll use that money to transform the world. All those things. No, those aren't bad things, but that's not the purpose of a miracle. When Jesus did miracles in the New Testament, they called those simeon, which is the Greek word for signs. They're just signs. These things that Moses is doing are just signs. They're great signs. And why are they signs? They're signs to show the incredible power of God, to reinforce Moses's message, to say God does exist. Um, that's the reason why God allows signs and miracles to be done even today. If God does a miracle, it's not necessary. The whole purpose of the miracle isn't to heal somebody from disease. The whole purpose of the miracle is to reinforce to the world that God still exists and lives in this world. Um, that is why he um, will do signs in this world. And if, if you believe that God will do signs for other reasons, then that's not necessarily the reason why God does signs. God does them for his purpose and his glory to prove that he exists, that he still loves his world. That's the purpose of a sign. So when Moses has these three signs from God. They're signs. They're to help reinforce. And what is it they're reinforcing? They're reinforcing Moses's message. When Jesus did miracles, what was it to do? It was to reinforce the message of Jesus. So Moses, who is a type of Jesus, he is a precursor of Jesus. He is a little Jesus, if you would like to say, has these miracles from God to prove of who God is and what it is that God's going to do to the Israelites by rescuing them out of slavery of Egypt. So the first miracle, the first sign, I guess you could say, is the changing of the staff to a snake. The second one is changing a hand into a leprosy hand and then changing it back. And the third is that you can take water from the river Nile, throw it on the ground, it will turn to blood. Now, are these signs enough? 
Because Moses now is going to go to the Hebrews and he's going to say, listen, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has called me to come and rescue you out of slavery in Egypt. And I know that you're doubtful about this, but let me show you these signs. And after these signs, then maybe you'll believe me that God is doing this. And and it does sometimes take signs for people to really believe that God is present or wants to do that. I know at our own church, there have been times when I've said, God, this, there's no way this is all going to work out. <laughs> I don't understand. And God, through his miraculous power, lets things happen. But the purpose of that isn't just to you know, solve the short-term immediate need. The purpose of that is to show the world, to show the veil community of the world that God exists through his power and his might. It's not about us. It, it's never about us. It's all about God and his power. Even in Moses, it's not about Moses. Even though Moses we celebrate as this great leader, wonderful guy, it's not about Moses. It's the God who walked along beside Moses and rescued the people out of slavery in Egypt. So um, Moses now has these three signs. Then what happens? Well, <laughs> you would think that'd be enough for Moses, right? Okay, I'll go. I'll do it. But Moses is a reluctant leader. So let's see what happens. We'll continue reading in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon me, your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Well, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. <laughs> so Mo Moses gets these three signs. He has a call from God. He has three miracles. He's ready to go. And he's still not ready to go. He's reluctant. He's like, I can't talk. I'm not eloquent of tongue. Are you sure you want me? There's other people in the world that can do this. Don't let it be me. And God's like, well, who gave you the tongue that you're going to speak with? It is I. And if I say that you have everything you need to do this, then you have everything you need to do it. Even you, you have a slow, a slow tongue. This could be that he just had difficulty speaking. A lot of people think that it could have been that he stutters. I don't know. Uh, people can learn how to speak even out of stuttering. It's Stuttering is a, is a tough disease that uh, I think through practice and training, you can actually reduce the ability to stutter or the, the, the thing of stuttering. I've known people that have done a great job of reducing their stuttering. And I think they have to do training and do all sorts of things. They can do that. But, but Moses, like, Lord, not me. I know these are all great things, but I, I don't want to do it. And Moses is, uh, is testing the limits of God here. <laughs> Because God has chosen Moses. He's called Moses. He came to him out of a burning bush. He gives him all these signs. Everybody says, yeah, Moses, you're the guy. This is great. And Moses is still a reluctant leader. And this is because leadership is hard. Um, if you've ever, I, I think of, well, like even today uh, in the Vail School District, you have, you have a serpent superintendent of schools. You have the school board. Um, you have the president of the United States, you have governors in charge of all these towns or states, uh, you have mayors and, and, and uh, people in charge of towns, and they're struggling through this coronavirus. And the reason why it's so hard 
for most leaders, this whole entire coronavirus is because most of the things that leaders deal with, they've dealt with before. If you're the president of the United States, you know that you're dealing with enemies, you're dealing with the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the Space Force, that, that the things that come to you as a leader have come to you before, at least come to other presidents before. And so there's a whole structure built to deal with this. But now we have a, a leader that's dealing with something that they've never seen before in their lifetime. And this is a pandemic. And in the midst of a pandemic, there's supposed to be the National Institute of Health and the CDC and all these different organizations that are funded to try to provide leadership and guidance to states and, and countries and the United States when these, pa when these pandemics happen. They've done research. They've, they've obtained funds. They've even done um, experiments and all sorts of things to try to set things in place so that when the pandemic hits, we know what to do. So then what happens? The pandemic hits. And these leaders step forward and they say, okay, this is what we need to do. This is what our simulation and our models have said. We need to do this and this and this and this. But the problem is, is that the National Institute of Health and the CDC have only lived in their bubble. They think that it's perfectly fine to shut down the economy for a year, not knowing the economic impact of what it means to shut down the economy for a year or the, the sociological impact or the emotional impact. I mean, they're great people and they've done a great job in their bubble, but at some level, what they believe should happen is not necessarily what's best thing to happen when you consider the whole entire world, the whole entire state, the whole entire country as a whole. They're just one piece of the solution. And somebody at the top, a mayor, a governor, a president, or whatever, has to say, okay, I'll take your advice, I'll take your advice, I'll take your advice, but I'm going to go in this direction because I think this is the best direction that we need to go based upon all the different input from all the different people. And when that happens, my friends, well, first of all, it may not be the right, it might not be the right direction. It might be a gut feeling. You might not have a lot of research behind you. It, there might be people from all sides that, aren't, that don't have your best interest in mind and they're feeding you lies because they want you to go in a direction that's against the best way to go, but it helps line their pockets. Leadership is tough. Le <laughs> I can't even imagine being a governor right now trying to figure out what's the best thing to do from a state standpoint. You... you uh, you have limited information. You don't have perfect information. You have all sides of people screaming at you, this is what needs to happen. And at some level, you have to make a decision. Sometimes you've got a little bit of time to make a decision. Sometimes you have to make a decision immediately. And you just have to go with your gut. Um, me, uh, since I'm an investigator, I'm always slow to make decisions because I want as much information as possible for I Well, I'm never going to have enough information. Because I'm, I'm a, I live in a sinful world and I'm a sinful person. I'm never going to have enough information. So there are times when I just have to go with it and say, we're going this direction. I think it's the best direction, but I don't know for sure. You can always change course. You can always reconfigure things. Um, but when you're, when you're in the middle of a pandemic and people's lives are at stake, it is tough. It is really tough. So my heart goes out to anybody that's a leader. It really is a very, very difficult thing to lead in the middle of a pandemic.
it's difficult to lead as a leader anyway. I don't know why anyone would want to do it. I mean, I don't want it. I'm a reluctant leader. I don't, I, uh, I never, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, let me just say, I'm, a, I'm, there are things that God's told me to do that I'm really, really reluctant about doing because uh, I need more information or I'm not sure about it. And God tells me, okay, this is what I want you to do. And um, it can be very, very challenging. Moses has everything he needs to lead because the most important thing to lead is not your skill set. It's not even the signs. It's, it's a heart that says, God, you've put me in this place and I'm going to lead and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the strength. I don't have all the power, but I have you by my side. And with you by my side, I can do anything. And I don't know how any person well, I've, I've come to the conclusion over the years that there's two types of leaders that lead well. Those on the one hand who have an incredibly strong faith and they know that God has placed them in this position to lead and they are going to try to do the best they can to try to seek out the truth because the truth always wins out. Jesus says the truth shall set you free, right? The truth, if you can get to the truth, then it's easy to lead because the truth sets you free. The truth gives you a path on how, how to lead. So as a good leader, with faith, knowing that God's put you in a position, you always want to find the truth and then you lead with the truth. And if you lead with the truth, you always know that God is by your side. Always. Because God loves the truth. Jesus is truth. So if Jesus is living inside you and you're seeking God and you want to lead with the truth, that God will bless that. You, we have to have faith that God will bless that and that the results will be good if we can seek and live by the truth. And then there's another type of leader. I call him the dictator. They don't like truth. They like lies. They like leading through fear. They like leading through power. They like leading through uh, obscuring the truth and creating a new truth which they can lead by. And this type of leader destroys people. It destroys institutions. It destroys governments. It destroys people. It destroys this world. And so a good leader, I don't know how you can be a leader and not cling to the truth unless you're going to be a dictator. And you could be a dictator. And dictators are people who hate the truth. And Satan loves dictators. Satan loves people who obscure the truth to lead by power, force, and obfuscation. Fuscation of the truth, hiding the truth, changing the truth. There's the only types of leaders in this world. So what we need to do as Christians is pray that God raises up godly, faithful, truth-seeking leaders and not these other types of leaders. Because when he raises up truth-seeking leaders, the world really truly is a better place and it can be in business, it can be in government, it can be in all in churches, it can be anywhere. We need, we should seek the truth, and we should lead with the truth. All right, so I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know how I got off on that, but we're going to close in prayer for this weekend. Uh, gracious God, thank you for to this time together, and we pray that as we lead or as that we follow, that we always lead with the truth and with you by our side. We pray this in Jesus' name.